Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we help you celebrate Industrial Water Week. Happy Wastewater Thursday, everybody. My name is Trace Blackmore, and this is my favorite holiday because it is all about us, the industrial water treater. And if you didn't know, there is a website for Industrial Water Week, and it's not very hard to remember. It's www.industrialwaterweek.com. There you go. All the information that you need to know about Industrial Water Week and even ideas to help you celebrate. And I hope you are celebrating. Folks, we work hard out there and we need to celebrate that industrial water treatment professionals rock. And we celebrate the first week of every October. We start out on Mondays with pre-treatment, boiler Tuesdays, cooling Wednesdays, today, wastewater Thursday, and then on Fridays, which is tomorrow, we're going to close the celebration with careers. And if you would like to visit all of the amazing knowledge that we have archived away in the Scaling Up H2O Vault to help you celebrate Wastewater Thursday, I recommend that you go all the way back in the Scaling Up H2O time machine. Yes, it is a DeLorean. And you listen to episodes 78 and 79. In these episodes, Kevin Cope joins us and gives us a crash course in wastewater treatment. Now, if you know Kevin, you know he is an amazing artist. In fact, I proudly display one of his paintings right here in my office. Kevin was so kind after we did episode 78 and 79, I normally send a thank you to my guest. Kevin sent a thank you to me and it was one of his Kevin Cope original paintings. And Kevin, thank you so much for that. You are an amazing artist. And here is the amazing thing. His talent does not stop at brush to canvas. Kevin has the same ability with his words. So if you go back and listen to episodes 78 and 79, you will feel like you are walking through a wastewater plant as he paints the entire picture for you as he explains some of the basics that you need to know when you start treating wastewater. So I hope to help your Thursday wastewater celebration, you give those two episodes a listen. My staff is always looking for metrics, so we can use that to help guide us on what's working and what we can do better to serve you, the Scaling Up Nation, on this podcast. And one of the metrics we look at, and it is one of the highest ranking metrics that we have, is the amount of re-listens that we get from listeners to past episodes. There is just so much information out there. And the podcast is such a convenient way for us industrial water treaters to devour content. Let's face it, we're busy throughout our day. We're driving from location to location. We are in places, a lot of places, where nobody else is except for us 
And the podcast allows us to even listen while we're doing our jobs. And the cool thing is the information never gets old. It never expires. So enjoy every episode, new and old. Industrial water treatment is an industry that contains a ton of stories, and we all love to hear those stories. Thank goodness that's why the podcast works. I love to tell those stories, and most likely you love to tell those stories. The thing about stories is they're one of the best ways to learn because they give context, because they set up in our mind that we can actually see ourselves doing what the people are describing, just like we experience it ourselves. And here today with a new story is James McDonald. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Happy Industrial Water Week. As we celebrate Wastewater Thursday, I am reminded of a large industrial plant that recovered wastewater for reuse elsewhere in the plant. Their final treatment step involved using reverse osmosis. Chlorine was added upstream with a dechlorination step immediately before the RO. Membrane fouling was becoming a real problem, though. RO capacity was being reduced and membrane cleaning frequency was increasing. The wastewater plant was under pressure to recover more wastewater via the RO system. The membrane biopsies repeatedly revealed microbiological fouling. What was going on? We started our troubleshooting by reviewing the current operation. The plant appeared to be feeding the chlorine at the proper point. Chlorine was being fed into the clear well, which was the point of lowest chlorine demand prior to the RO system. The test record showed a consistent free chlorine residual was being maintained. So far, so good. But was the free chlorine residual they were testing using the DPD free chlorine test method really showing true free chlorine? Or was there an interference? One common interference to the DPD free chlorine test when dealing with wastewaters and surface waters is ammonia. Ammonia reacts with chlorine to form chloramines which can cause false positives in the DPD-free chlorine test. Could ammonia be causing a problem here? Testing showed the definite presence of ammonia. The ammonia was high enough that it was possible the free chlorine readings the operators were taking were all due to monochloramine rather than true free chlorine. Monochloramine was a lot weaker biocide than chlorine for this application. Next, a breakpoint chlorination study was conducted where known concentrations of chlorine were added to a series of clear well samples to find the point where all the ammonia had been eliminated and a true free chlorine residual existed. The results showed the wastewater plant was nowhere near achieving breakpoint chlorination and thus having true free chlorine residuals. They simply were not disinfecting the water as well as they thought they were. This led to two possible solutions for the wastewater plant. They could either feed more chlorine or supplement with another biocide. They chose to use DPNPA as a supplemental biocide due to the large increase that would have been required in the chlorine feed. With a comparatively minimal DPNPA usage rate, the plant was able to significantly increase both membrane life and time between cleanings. I like this story because it taught me not all things are always as they seem. Just because a piece of equipment gives you a reading does not mean it's true. To be an industrial water treatment professional, 
I had to understand the test procedures and unit operations as well, including what may make them behave outside expectations. I hope you enjoyed today's story on water and equally hope you will share one of your own on social media to help celebrate Wastewater Thursday of Industrial Water Week. Don't forget to tag them with hashtag IWW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. Thank you, James. Not all things are as they seem. Such a true statement, and it is so very true in this industry. I can't underscore that enough. In fact, if you want to learn more about chlorine, there was a recent episode, episode 255, where a listener wrote in, actually several listeners, and asked me a bunch of questions about halogens. So feel free to go back and listen to episode 255. And just like James suggested, please share your stories with us. This is a great week to share the stories that you have to not only celebrate you being industrial water treaters, but to celebrate every industrial water treater out there and put out there your stories to help us realize that we're not alone. We are part of a community. We're the Scaling Up Nation. We help each other. We build this industry to be better than when we found it. So if you've got a story, share it on social media and be sure to hashtag it with IWW22 and Scaling Up H2O. Also to help you celebrate this week, we have been conducting many interviews, not many interviews. Well, I guess there's five of them, but so there's a lot, many. There's also many as they're small. They're small intentionally on the theme of the day. So you guessed it, today we are talking about wastewater. Now these many interviews are small so you can share them. You can educate people that you want to know this information, and we made it very easy for you to share. Who do you share it with? Well, you can share it with your neighbor, your uncle, your team members, your new team members, your prospective team members. You get to figure all that stuff out. Our job is to make sure you have the information so you can share it. So now, here's the interview. My lab partner during this Wastewater Thursday is Dave Christofferson of Dave Christofferson Consulting. Dave, how are you celebrating Industrial Water Week? Oh, that's a great question. Um, water and my business, water treatment, we all understand it. But for some reason, my wife still doesn't know what I do after 45 years of marriage and my family doesn't. So I'm going to do the week again, trying to explain that I don't pop my heads in neighborhood sewers um, and the other things that somehow they think I do. Well, Dave, it, this is all about the neighborhood sewers today. We're talking about wastewater, <laughs> so it, it might be confusing to your family. So uh, we'll try to clear some things up today. Uh, thank you for joining me during Wastewater yeah, Thursday. Absolutely. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, always a pleasure. You and I met on the AWT board, and I'm just scared to think of how many years ago that was. Yeah, let's not even <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> so with that, uh, you, you've you got uh, knowledge in all areas of water treatment, but today we're going to be using your knowledge specifically with wastewater. 
And we get a whole bunch of people that listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Some people have been in the industry for as long as you and I have. Others have been in the industry maybe for a week. So I thought maybe we would meet in the middle and just discuss what wastewater is. So if someone came up to you on the street, maybe they just had a little bit of knowledge and said, what the heck is this wastewater stuff? How would you answer their question? Yeah, good question. Water, water treatment, water industry, those are all really, really huge fields. And wastewater and wastewater treatment is a subcategory of that for sure. So uh, wastewater is I've got water and now I've got something in it that I maybe don't want in it anymore. So I could have gotten that in there because of uh, what I did in the bathroom. I could have gotten that in there by what I did in, you know, a process. I contaminated contaminated it in, um, you know, making steel or making automobiles or whatever. So wastewater is water that's been used for some purpose and then now has some components that necessarily need to be removed if you want to reuse that water. Is there a difference between industrial wastewater, commercial wastewater, residential wastewater? Yeah, for sure. So uh, a lot of times if you think about wastewater, people think about, like I was talking earlier, municipal wastewater. You know, we've got um, bacteria, coliform, sewage, basically is what they're thinking about. So that's what municipal plants largely contend with. Um, industrial plants, more of the processes. So the contaminants in that are oils, heavy metals, um, processes, like when you make glue or you make textiles or you make, um, you know, personal care products and food, you get those kinds of wastes in there. So they can be addressed a little differently, maybe. When you first decide that you're going to go after a customer, what do you need to know before you start chatting with them? For an industrial application, for sure, very common to all your other things. You want to learn as much as you can around the water. So it's not about the water. Usually it's about what's in the water, what the water is used for, what kind of treatment techniques are available. So you look at all of the components, the possible components of the water, what's problematic. Um, a big thing is variability of all those components. Temperature, you know, is a consideration. So really, what do you do here? What are some of the um, things that are going to be getting into the water? And then what do you have to do? Are we discharging it? Do we have to meet some, some, some compliance? Are we doing a partial treatment, going to a municipal treatment? Are we wanting to reuse it, to recycle it? So big picture stuff. You get a big water balance. What's in there? What do we need to do? And for somebody that wants to learn more about the topic of wastewater, what are your favorite places, favorite books to go to? I'm a little biased. You talked about AWT and the board. I think the AWT manual is a great starting point. That's um, I didn't help write it, but I, I was able to edit it. I was asked to edit. Um, you know, Rich Disone and the guys that wrote it really put together a lot of good information. So I would definitely start there. I learned a lot when I went through the editing process of it. Um, you can watch YouTubes, you know, if you want to see how a municipal water treatment plant works or, you know, any types of processes. There's so many videos that are really good uh, um, starting point. You can literally buy dozens of books on wastewater. Um, you can get wastewater chapters from water treatment companies, from AWT companies, from the majors. There's so many sources. Um, you got to start with really where am I 
interested in? Am I interested in industrial, chemical, physical mostly? Do I like the biological part? It's huge. It's just such a huge field. So many opportunities. What's something that you can share with the Scaling Up Nation, either a difficult story that you just triumphed over, a funny story? What, what's a good wastewater story that you can share with us? <laughs> a good wastewater story. I'm probably one of the first uh, real wastewater projects that I learned how complicated it could be was in a, in a steel mill the learning opportunities were huge, trying to recycle the water. It's not funny. Uh, it is funny when you think you go into an opportunity and then the more you dig into it, the more complicated it becomes. Uh, but also the greater the reward becomes. So, you know, that was one of the first real projects I had where I had to do things that I hadn't done before. You know, total mass balance of the plan, an ionic balance you know, all the what if questions, um, because there are so many processes that we're going to be involved. Because if you're recycling a water internally in a steel mill with all the stuff that's in it, um, back to membranes, back to RO, back to processes, you have to have to do it right. So I, I guess it was a huge, huge learning experience. Some of the funny parts were just trying to do pilot studies and trying to keep yourself awake for 36 straight hours. Um, not so funny, but at the end, successful. Well, the studies always start out with jar testing. What are your tips on jar testing? Well, jar testing may or may not be involved if you're doing uh, coagulation, flocculation. Some some treatments today, they don't even use polymers or, or flocculins. It's always good to know what you think is going to work, um, what other people have tried. If you just start from the beginning every time um, and have to reevaluate the best pHs or changes of pHs, all the inorganics, organics, all the flocculins, you could literally spend a week or two weeks. So always get advice first, have a plan before you go in there would be my advice if you're doing jar studies, um, because you can really get lost um, and spend days when somebody could have told you, oh, I, I know that waste, here's what you use. You know, so start start with knowledge or for advice from somebody, I would suggest. Well, Dave, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O and celebrating Wastewater Thursday with us. Oh, sure. Thank you very much for having me. Dave, so good to have you back on Scaling Up H2O to help us celebrate Wastewater Thursday. Dave, like Chuck Hamrick, was one of the first people I got the honor of meeting when I got into leadership at the Association of Water Technologies. And as I mentioned, if Dave's voice sounds familiar, he was interviewed on episode 269. Feel free to go back and listen. I know you will pick up something new. Some of the best stories that I have found in this industry, and of course, you figured it out, we're celebrating stories this Industrial Water Week, and some of the best stories I always get is when I ask people, what is something they wish they knew when they first started in this industry? Here's how Sean McGrade answered that question. Hey, Scaling Up Nation, this is Sean McGrade. One thing I wish I would have known in the first week of being in the water treatment industry is the plethora of information and resources there are available if you go looking for them. 
Sean is so right. If you look for something, you will find it. I'm amazed at how many people don't look. How many people will look at something? They'll say, I don't know how that works. I don't know why that is happening. And they leave it. Folks, that's your opportunity. That is the world inviting you to learn. So if you forget those things because you have so much going on in your day, keep a notebook with you. Send yourself a note. Whatever you need to do, if you need to use electronic or paper, write those things down because that is your invitation to learn something new. There is so much out there that if you care to look for it, you will find it. And I started off this episode by talking about the wealth of knowledge we have right here on Scaling Up H2O. Now, if you just search the podcast through your favorite podcast player, you're going to find every episode out there and they are searchable. However, there are so many people that do not visit our website and you are missing out because just our website alone has so much information on there. And yes, you heard me right. It's not just our episodes that we archive. We do so much more. We have transcripts of every single episode. And the reason that we do this is we want to make the episodes easily searchable for you. Just the other day, I typed something in the famous Google search bar, and I was trying to find something out out of a particular topic. And the very first thing that popped up in my search results was scaling up H2O. Now, I already knew what was in that article, but I didn't know the dozen that followed it. So if you're not at least searching Google to find out information, you're probably not working hard enough. But if you are not searching the Scaling Up H2O website, you're probably missing out on some very easy data for you to enhance the knowledge that you're looking for to troubleshoot an issue. Now, you can do that on Google. Even better, you can go to our search bar and it just searches our website. And like I said, all those transcripts are designed to make episodes easy to find when you are looking for specific topics. Now, while you're on the Scaling Up H2O website, you can also learn about current events. I try to let you know what's going on during most of our episodes in the water treatment industry, but you might not know this. There is another way, a way that you can use when you are sitting down in front of your calendar, and that's by going to scalinguph2o.com and going to our events page. Our great team here at Scaling Up H2O puts every event that I mention, actually some that I don't mention, on that events page, and it has everything that you need to know about that event. You simply click on it, and it has every link that you need to find out more information. It also contains a link so you can create a calendar event without typing anything. I'm so proud of my staff for putting that together. I know you are going to love that. And while you're there, there is also an updated resources page. 
There's no doubt about it. When we have a guest on our podcast, they are very generous with their information. They're always sharing how we can find out more about the topics that they are speaking on. But let's face it, we're driving around. We're not taking notes on all of these speakers. Well, you're not, but we are. And we've got all of that on this webpage. So if you go to the resources page, you will find resources that our guests are speaking of. And just recently, if you listen to episode 263 through 266, you know August was Legionella Awareness Month, and we released a new Legionella resources page. And the traffic response to that page has been amazing. We have tried to make that page the one-stop spot for you to go to find out more information about Legionella. And we've had so many people call us or email us saying, hey, can you put our information on there? And if it's unique, absolutely, we are doing that. So we're trying to make it extremely easy for you, the professional water treater, to easily learn more about Legionella. After all, the entire month was about Legionella awareness. You can become more aware by simply going to the Legionella resources page on the website. In fact, that's just a small amount of all of the things that we have on the Scaling Up H2O website. And all I did was talk about the Scaling Up H2O website. Now, Sean said that there is a plethora of information out there. I can't say that word without thinking of the three amigos, and I hope people out there understand that reference. That being said, there's so many other organizations out there that we help support that you can also find information on. So the bottom line is, if you're not looking to find new information, you're just not trying hard enough. That was one of the items that Chuck Hamrick mentioned on episode 271 last week. He said when he first got in this industry, it was hard to find new information. He had to travel to places to get that information from people because it was just stored in their head. Now, if he was lucky, it was in a book somewhere, but he had to read the entire book to figure out where that information is. I am so glad that we live in today's world. One, if you listened yesterday, we have air conditioning, and I would not be in the South if we didn't have air conditioning, but we also have such great ways to easily search information and make ourselves more developed around specific topics so we can be better water treaters when we get in front of our customers. We have more knowledge when we troubleshoot the problem the second time because we learn new information and we got all of that experience. If you don't already know, there's a plethora of information out there. You just have to go looking for it. Nation, do you have a favorite way or a place that you like to go to find new information? A great way to share that with all of us and help us celebrate Industrial Water Week is to post that on social media and hashtag it with IWW22 and Scaling Up H2O. I know I and everybody else will be glad that you did. Nation, happy Wastewater Thursday.
Now, before I sign out and introduce today's encore presentation of Detective H2O, I want to tease you a little bit. Tomorrow is not an encore episode of Detective H2O. It is a brand new episode, never before heard before, released only to celebrate tomorrow, Careers Friday, and to close out the celebration of Industrial Water Week 2022. But that's not all. There is a guest voice on this episode that I'm sure you'll recognize. But you're going to have to tune in tomorrow to learn more. For now, here is Detective H2O and the case of Breaking Free. Welcome to Detective H2O, the case of Breaking Free. The rain ran serpentine paths down the windows of the rusty blue Ford as Herbert Henry Oxidane, P.I. CWT, sat waiting for Johnny Keelan to open a side powerhouse door at Pork Belly's Processing. When the lanky man's shaggy head popped out, the water detective made a run for it, dodging raindrops the best he could. Get in here, H2O, before you melt. I'm running between the drops. Let's see this reverse osmosis system of yours. Right this way, said Johnny as he snaked his way through the building. Like I said on the horn, this RO system goes south real fast. We'll clean it, clean it good, and a week later, maybe two, it's moping along, begging to be taken to the cleaners again. How do you determine when it needs to be cleaned? Well, we're using the normalization program provided by the membrane manufacturer. When the normalization permeate flows drop by 10 to 15% and the pressure drops increase by 15%, we clean. We're barely keeping up with the permeate demand. Hmm, can you tell me about the water you're processing through the RO system? Oh yeah, we're the largest pork belly processing plant this side of the Mississippi, you see. That requires a lot of water. We get our water directly from the Grace Noel River. After filtration, clarification, and disinfection, some of the water comes to this RO system to make high purity water for us. Our silt density index is run daily. It is always spot on, showing good quality water for RO membranes. Our free chlorine test before the RO is also always spot on, before the dechlorination step, you see. Yet despite my crew babying this system, the membranes have to be cleaned far more frequently than we ever imagined. That can't be good for them. Have you sent any of the membranes out for an autopsy to determine what is fouling them? Yes, three times. It is always biological fouling. Biological fouling. Interesting. Let's take a look. I'd like to walk down the length of the system, see the chemical feed points, review your data, take a look at the autopsy reports, and run a few tests myself. Let's start with the walkthrough. For the next several hours, the water detective got the scoop on the pork belly's processing water treatment system. Everything appeared to be ship-shape. This was a well-run plant, and as far as he could tell, well-designed. The crew's care and dedication were obvious. Figured out the culprit yet, detective? Not quite yet, but I have a hunch. Let's go collect some water right before the chlorine disinfectant is added. We'll need a clean bucket. After collecting the water sample, Detective H2O lined up several beakers with 100 mLs of the water sample in each, prepared a diluted bleach solution, 
and carefully injected different amounts of the solution into each water sample. After thoroughly stirring, he started the timer. In the meantime, he also tested for ammonia. Earlier, the water detective had calculated the residence time of the chlorine disinfectant in the system from the point of injection to the point of dechlorination just before the RO system. It was 25 minutes. After this time elapsed, he tested each 100 ml water sample for free chlorine. Then he fired up his computer, barely more than an abacus, and graphed out the data. Lastly, he smiled, or at least he defined it as a smile. Johnny, noticing the change in the water detective's face, said, I don't know whether to be scared or encouraged by that. Uh, smile you've got going on there. Are you onto the culprit? Definitely encouraged. I may have cracked this case wide open. Take a look at this. I added different levels of diluted bleach to each of the water samples you saw me pour out. The chlorine concentration added increased from left to right as I had them setting on the lab counter. I gave them time for the free chlorine to react with whatever was in the water, the same time it would have in the system out there. After this time, I measured the remaining free chlorine. Finally, I graphed it out here. See this curve? Yes, there's a bump in the middle. Is that normal? Well, yes and no, but it's what I suspected I would see in your case. When chlorine is introduced to a system, it reacts with several things. Our desire is for it to react with the microbes in the water first so the water is properly disinfected. That way your membranes won't foul. Unfortunately, there are other components in the water that can react with the chlorine even faster. The typical culprit is ammonia. Ammonia can get into surface waters from farm runoff and so forth. When ammonia reacts with chlorine, it forms chloramines such as monochloramine, a form of combined chlorine. Now chloramines are a disinfectant, but some research shows that monochloramine may be 25 times less effective than free chlorine at killing microbes. To get the killing power of free chlorine, you must first react with all the ammonia. After the ammonia is gone and the chloramine reactions are at completion, the remaining chlorine disinfectant you add will form free chlorine. This is called breakpoint chlorination, and that's where the upward sloping line starts after the hump on the graph. Okay, I get what you're saying there, Detective H2O, but I still don't get what it has to do with us. We test our water for free chlorine every shift. Not monochloramine, but free chlorine. It is within the control range every time. That should be good enough, shouldn't it? What gives? Yes, you make an excellent point, which brings me to the second part of my story. What you see isn't always what you get. Monochloramine can be a positive interference to the DPD-free chlorine test you use. That means even though the sample turns pink and you think you have a true free chlorine residual in your water, it is actually monochloramine interfering with your test. You don't have the killing power you think you have in your water which would certainly explain the biological fouling on your RO membranes. And you're sure this is happening to us? I tested the water prior to disinfection for ammonia and found it. Look at this level. To reach breakpoint chlorination, you need to feed a weight ratio of 8 to 1 or higher of chlorine to ammonia. Based upon your records and data, you're only feeding enough chlorine to get halfway up the hump. There's no true free chlorine at all to do the disinfection you want. Wow! What do we do? You have a few options. First, you can feed more chlorine to the system to reach breakpoint chlorination and beyond to your true free chlorine control range. Second, you could supplement the chlorine biocide with another biocide, which is RO membrane compatible. Third, you could look at replacing the chlorine biocide with another one that may be more effective considering your current water conditions. 
There are other options we may be able to consider as well. There are pluses and minuses that come with each option. We can do a thorough feasibility analysis on each of these options, but let's prove my theory first by feeding more chlorine. That sounds like a good plan, Detective H2O. Thanks for your time. Detective H2O's suspicion were proven to be true over the coming year as the RO membrane cleaning intervals increased from weekly to quarterly. After initially increasing the chlorine feed, a disinfection feasibility study was conducted, systems were piloted, and changes were made that increased the cleanings to every six months. Detective H2O had truly saved the day once again. In the underbelly and penthouses of the metropolis of Waterville, where the boilers percolate and cooling towers fog, there is one man who works tirelessly to end corrosion, stop scale, fight low-life microbes, and conserve water. That man is Detective H2O, best water treater this side of the Ohio, solving water problems, drop by drop. <laughs>